Paper Cut Podcast strives to be evocative and inclusive. Every Monday, we cut below the surface with folks that make the Winnipeg arts and culture scene thrive. Welcome to the Paper Cut Podcast. My name is Jared Goche. I'm Olivia Michaelchuk, and we're here with Gil Carroll. So we'd like to start off with everything about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm uh, Winnipeg, born and raised, uh, musician, concert promoter, booking agent, a um, bunch of other music stuff, I guess. I have a small tape label as well, which is more of just a fun thing. But um, in terms of like my real life, um, being a musician and um, being an agent and concert promoter are like my main things that I do um, and it's a lot of fun and I'm, I'm really lucky to be doing it and I also work for CKUW which is the radio station at the University of Winnipeg doing some promotions work there and I'm the editor of Stylus Magazine which is Winnipeg's only print music magazine I've been doing that for three and a bit years. How did you get started with the magazine? Uh, I was a volunteer at CKUW for a few years, and I have a show that I started uh, with my bandmate uh, Sam a couple years ago called Space Cadet. And so just through being involved with the station, I started doing album reviews for Stylus, and then just kind of, I guess, made a good impression, worked my way up, and then eventually got offered the job. Uh, so you were mentioning concert promoter. Is that through Real Love? Yeah. So um, me and my business partner slash bandmate Adam Soloway started Real Love Winnipeg uh, in 2012. When we were living together in Jerusalem for a year, we did a like a gap year program in our third year of university there. And so we got really like we were always into the music um we played guitar together like since we were kids um we had like the same guitar teacher and we lived really close to each other and that kind of thing so we had always been doing music stuff and then but it wasn't until that year we sort of decided we actually wanted to start producing events and bringing the music community together because we didn't really know that many people like we weren't really involved in the music scene in high school um, and so we sort of looked at starting Real Love as a way to kind of bring the community to us and sort of create a space where we could exist and, and do music. And then it started mostly with this recording project we did called Beach Station Blues, which we did for five years. Um, and it started off at my family's cottage in Winnipeg Beach. And from there, we sort of that kind of was the beginning of it all. We had nine bands come out and each had four hours to record a song that we released as a compilation album. And originally that's like, was our plan as real love? Like that's what we were going to do. And then we booked a show for the release of that album and it went really well and it was a lot of fun. And then we kind of just started booking more shows with all these bands and sort of their associated networks of musicians and bands. And I guess our sort of what cemented it was taking on Real Love Tuesdays 
at 555 Osborne, which is a now defunct basement venue in South Osborne, (laughs) where we had free shows on every other Tuesday. And then eventually that grew into us doing Real Love Thursdays, which is still an ongoing thing at The Handsome Daughter on Sherbrooke after 555 Osborne. Um, I guess, I don't know what happened to them, but they don't exist anymore. <laughs> they went under, presumably. Yeah. Or, um, Yeah, and the Thursday's way better than the Tuesday. So much easier to get people to come out. And um, yeah, so Real Love, we put on... At least three shows a month, usually between three and five shows a month in Winnipeg. And then the music festival as well. Yeah. The Summerfest. That's right. Real Love <laughs> Summerfest. So that started, um, this is our fifth, wow. Is this our fifth year? It's either, <laughs> Time flies. I think it might be the fourth. Is it? Yeah. No. Okay. You're right. It is the fourth year that we're going into. Um, I'm not great with time, but, uh, yeah, that, that sort of just, it was pretty natural to be honest. Um, definitely give some credit to Micah Ehrenberg actually, whose family had a festival on their property in Matlock, Manitoba. And originally the plan was he pitched it to us to do a festival on his parents' property and we hadn't like obviously thought of doing a festival, but had never really like thought it was very realistic until that moment. And then we got super excited about it and we booked a festival. We had the artwork, we had the website, we had the tickets, everything. And then two weeks before the fest, Micah's parents called us and said we couldn't do it because their land was still super wet from the spring. It hadn't dried out properly. Um, and they didn't feel comfortable having hundreds of people there because it would essentially ruin their land, which is like this beautiful acres and acres of like, it's like this natural, just amazing piece of land full of nature. And uh, so it was understandable. It was obviously very frustrating and scary at first because we didn't know what to do and um, we didn't know where we could have the fest. So we were like, calling the mayor of Winnipeg Beach and Gimli and sort of pleading our case and all this stuff. And um, eventually our good friend, who's now a member of the Real Love team, uh, Brian Gluck, suggested this motorsports park in Gimli that he used to race at when he was a kid living in Winnipeg Beach. And it worked out. And it was basically just two open fields where we had, we built a stage that we borrowed from Gimli High School. They use it for their graduation, uh, which was cool. And it was super bare bones. It was, yeah, basically just people setting up tents in the middle of a swampy field. But um, that's where it, where it all got started. And now we're sort of continuing to grow it. Do you remember any of the headlining bands from the first year? Um, the first year, well, the first year was actually the only year that my bands played. Um, (laughs) after that, me and Adam thought it would maybe be just not a great look to kind of have our own projects playing. Um, so I wouldn't call us a headliner, although Palm Trees, which is my other project, we did play last, but I wouldn't call us the headliner. (laughs) Um, it was more of an after hours kind of thing. 
Um, but there was a lot of amazing bands that first year. Um, wow. It has been a while since I've looked at that lineup, but definitely the Hoots, who went on to be members of the band Surprise Party, which were kind of a staple in the Real Love community for a while, were in there. The first band to ever play Real Love Summerfest was Twin, who are this like acoustic, folk, anti-folk uh, duo, and they started off the festival the first year, I remember, at 7 p.m., uh, and it was cool. Was that the the first year? Was that the one that got rained heavily? No, was so the second. The second year was rained, essentially rained out. We had to cancel the main stage performances because it was like we couldn't run the sound system because it was sketchy because there was like extension cords like buried under puddles of water. Like it just wouldn't have been safe to run the festival. Um, so, and a lot of people got their tents, like, filled with water, and, uh, it was not a good scene. It was muddy, and people were stuck in the parking area, and, um, it was very stressful. And we didn't really know what to do, and, um, the best thing that we figured was to move the festival to the Viking, which is this, like pretty divey local bar in Gimli. Um, and they were into it because, I mean, we were like, we're literally going to bring 400 people to your bar right now yeah. who otherwise <laughs> would never be there. Um, so they were into it. it. It obviously wasn't the vision that we had for the fest, but I think we made the most of it. And I know there's definitely some people out there that might still slightly resent Real Love for ruining their tent that year. No, or uh, My some... tent got ruined for sure. And I was no, like, I, I ended up going back to the Viking and I had a great time. Okay. Yeah, well, so it was that's, a fantastic time. That's good to hear. And yeah. I have heard of a lot of people who have a similar experience who, like, they're like, oh, yeah, like, it was obviously a shame it got rained out, but, like, still had a good time. Yeah. So. And, uh, you know, we were, I mean, we still are learning. And so I think everyone just kind of like was cool with it. It's not like we can control the weather. And exactly. We've definitely learned to always have a backup, a a strong, firm backup plan nowadays. Well, that was a good backup, like all things considered, like that you weren't planning on on that. Like that's that's still great. Yeah. For a day of it was it was definitely cool. Yeah. It's one of the many challenges I assume that goes with planning a summer fest, you know, like weather and then take into account every other thing that could go wrong. For sure. And like the weather, it's so tough because, you know, you can plan so much and put in so much time and money and effort and uh, it could all be ruined within an hour of intense rain. So it's kind of stressful, but it's, it's all just part of it. So do you guys have that contingency plan now? Like, Kind of. Our new location, which is in Toulon, um, we have like this big tent, essentially, which we call the whale, which worse comes to worse. If it was really, really bad, we would move the programming under the tent and it would, it would be pretty packed, but it would work. Yeah, that's yeah. a beautiful location too, by the way. Yeah, we're so lucky to have gotten in with those amazing people that own that site and um 
it's really sort of a sign of us growing and, and keeping and developing. And so it, it felt amazing to, to see just everyone in that site, just like having a great time. And it, it was cool. It's a cool spot. I have a question about uh, booking. Mm-hmm. Has there any ever been anything uh, that you've been thrown in booking that you're just like, wait a second, like, I'm not sure how to do this. Like, I, f- I feel like once there's a certain point, there's a point where you have to learn more. Are you are you at a point where that comes up at all? For sure. Like, um, so yeah, I'm one of three owners of First Date Touring, and we're a boutique booking agency based in Winnipeg. We've been around for around two years. And uh, yeah, when we first started out, we, at least I, didn't really know actually how to do it. Like, I had booked tours for my bands and for a few friends bands but it was all extremely DIY and kind of like hoping for the best um but yeah and then it got into like having to have contracts for every show and there's a bit of a learning curve with that and um you know just making like professional itineraries for your bands and uh sending invoices out like we had to become a like a registered business and have a business bank account and that kind of thing so I think it was really just like the legitimacy of it and I assume it's the same for anyone who's like starting a business for the first time you know there's just learning curves with sort of like the legality and just making it legit like in terms of booking tours though it's like when it comes down to it, it's like you email someone, ask them if they can do the show. And if they say yes, great. And you move forward. And if they say no, you move on. Like that part I understood, but it was more so just like be more professional about it and um, making sure that I just like had all my ducks in a row, essentially keep organized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's the first step, like booking a tour? How does it, uh, do you find the venue? Does the venue find you? What's, what are the inner workings of just like booking a show well or tour so it's a it sort of depends on where the band is at um and it's an interesting thing because I work with a lot of bands who are like very much so like up and coming and essentially unknown to a lot of people um so with smaller touring bands you need to essentially what you're doing is selling them to a promoter or a venue. So you need to have a strong pitch in your email. It has to be clear and concise, but you need to communicate with that person that this is a band worth investing time and energy and money into, that they put on a great show, that people in that city will love it. Um, so it's it's really about crafting a pitch. Um, And then for bigger bands, there might be some notoriety there or they've already played in those markets before. Um, So you can kind of play off of, you know, oh, last time they were in town, they sold this many tickets and you can kind of up it from there and that kind of thing. So it's really about selling the band and like bookers at venues are, you know, also known as like talent buyers. So they're like, buying your act from you is essentially what it what it comes down to um but yeah it's really just about sending an email you have 
I'll send my bands like a rough itinerary of sort of where I think they should play and when and how long of a tour and then I'll get their go ahead on it and then I'll just start from the first date and just work my way down and sometimes people are really slow about getting back and so you kind of just need to you're always juggling a million different emails and trying to find the right promoter for that band Um, and also just like being aware of what the right venues in cities are because I could probably like book a band at some like huge venue but like no one would come and the venue would lose a lot of money and then they would like never want to work with me again you know so you kind of have to do your research and know like oh like this level of band plays at this spot or these few spots and this promoter likes this kind of music and they should be the ones I'm talking to. So it's really about research and uh, spend a lot of time looking into that kind of thing. Has there ever been a time where you've booked a band just at the wrong venue and been like, whoa, that whoops, like... For sure, including my own band. Um, Yeah, we've... There was one particular show. I I don't really book much in Europe, but I've done a little bit. And uh, I booked a show for my band Living Hour in Berlin. And it was one of the worst experiences ever. The venue was in like this really sketchy area that like no one had ever heard of. And it was huge. And the second we got there, the promoter was like essentially yelling at us being like no but there's no tickets sold like you need to pay us like 300 euro like all this stuff it was like pretty sketchy and like at the end of the night like there wasn't many people there because like I thought that the venue was going to be like promoting the show but they thought I was going to be like working with like a local promoter and just It was a disaster, essentially. And basically, we had to, like, pay them at the end of the night, which is, like, the worst feeling as a band, who, especially from Canada in Germany, um, when it's obviously, like, we don't have much money to, to spend at that point. And we had to, like, pay the guy, and he had a security, this massive security guard, like, blocking the exit, like, until we had like paid and the guy confirmed that we had paid like yeah it was like pretty intimidating and uh yeah (laughs) so the lessons from that is what the lessons from that is okay well also like he was telling me that there was this he showed me this huge contract that he said that he had sent us um which we hadn't signed for the record but he said oh well here's the contract but it was all in german like i actually <laughs> like could not read it the lesson from that is just to always make sure there's a legit promoter on the show or someone who is actively trying to get people to a show and knows what the breakdowns of the costs of the venue are knows how many people need to be there for the band to start getting paid, that kind of thing. It's it's really just like you need to have clear communication. And that was an example of very little communication, which led to like a nightmare of a night. So being on the business end of things, what's the biggest lesson you've been able to apply to your bands? Um, just... Um, 
never assume that someone else is going to do it for you. You kind of always need to be the one. You're always going to be the one with the creative idea or the innovative marketing plan. Um, Even if you have a great manager and an agent, you always need to put in the work. You can't just rely on other people to get these things done for you. Um, Because often managers and agents, they're working with tons of different bands and different people. So if you want to be as successful as you can be, you always need to be the one who's taking initiative and working hard and making connections. And uh, I think that's that was like a decent takeaway from it all. And I like I like to think I do a good job with the bands I book for, but like it's always better when they're in it and they get involved and and help and and have ideas and that kind of thing. You talked a little bit about an artistic vision. Uh, for the bands that you're in or for bands that you promote or help, how does an image, say on stage, in posters, social media, uh, is it affected by the music or the relationship between music and image? Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, ultimately I believe that it's about the music, like because some of the my favorite bands are like bands that like, don't necessarily look cool um but they're they just are cool because they're incredible musicians and so I think ultimately it is about the music but obviously like a band's image is a huge thing and it always has been um but yeah I think it's important like Instagram and Facebook like are obviously like visual things and a lot of people discover bands through that and so like if you have like an awesome band photo, there's a much better chance of someone discovering your music than if your band photo is terrible. Um, So it's like little things like that, just sort of presenting yourself in like a unique creative way can go a long way for music discovery. Um, And on stage, like, yeah, I think it's cool. Like if you have an aesthetic or like if you have certain lighting preferences or different effects that you go to I think it's it's great like music for me is like all about like creating atmosphere and creating mood and so anything you can do to sort of um heighten that is cool um because like obviously like if my band's playing and every single light is on in the venue it could still sound good but like when you turn the lights off just like everything feels better, including the performance. And so just little things, I think, go a long way. So when you're playing a show, what is the thing that you, like, need? Like, you just said something like the lights being down is something that's helpful, but is there something when you go to a venue, when I go to this venue, I need this. This is what I'm looking for. Good sound is the the biggest thing for, for me, for sure. Like, if I can... I personally play my instrument so much better if I'm feeling confident and I'm feeling confident when I can hear what we sound like because I've played many shows where I can't hear my guitar or I can't hear the singing or the other guitar and 
you're always thinking about that. So it's distracting. You're like, oh crap, like I can't hear my own guitar right now. Like I wonder what it sounds like. And then you're distracted as opposed to like, if you're playing, you can hear everything well, you just get into it and feel good. And so having just like a good sound system or a competent sound person goes a long way, like big time for any band, I would say. So for real of Thursday, do you guys have your own sound person, your own lights person to kind of create that same kind of sound? We don't. Um, for real of Thursday, it was interesting because the pers- the main sound person at the Handsome Daughter, which is where we do real of Thursdays, um, Corey has been involved with real love in the past so it kind of is like that but he also like works other shows at the handsome daughter but he definitely gets it um and knows what we're going for and sort of for the most part is familiar with the bands we're booking so he definitely does a good job the handsome daughter like is a great venue for sound but it is a smaller spot like the the sound could be better the sound could be better anywhere um but the handsome daughter is just like it's worked really well for us in terms of the location and the vibe and they're extremely open-minded to like we're friends with the people who book the venue so they're open-minded to like pretty much any band we want to book so more so i think it's more so the freedom to do what we want to do um at the venue is is what what works best Nice. Cool. I had a question. I forget it. Oh, then I will. Uh, I will jump on it on a question. Um, I was going to save this for the end, but I'll wait for Olivia because she's going to have a really good question. I can just, <laughs> I can, she's got the best questions. Um, aside from real love, what's your favorite um, Manitoba-based music festival? <laughs> I think I'll give it to Rainbow Trout. Um, well, in the summer, definitely Rainbow Trout. Um, and Rainbow Trout's definitely, like, inspired real love in many ways. I think, you know, Rainbow Trout's been going on for 10 years, so they obviously have, like, more of a loyal following, and, and they sort of trailblazed a lot of stuff in terms of safer spaces, which is a big issue um, and cool topic um, in the music community. And so... They kind of, in my opinion, were like innovative and and creative as a local festival before Real Love was even an idea. So I would definitely give them credit. They always have good programming. They have the best food out of any festival. (laughs) That's an important thing. (laughs) Totally. And that's something Real Love we're we're working on. We're, We're getting better. Um, this year is going to, is going to be better for sure. But I mean, yeah, they, they do it really, really well. I love Rainbow Trout. I love just being there or playing it. It, It's a great experience. They have good sound as well. Um, and I really like Big Fun as well during the winter. Uh, it's a really cool festival and they always have cool bands and, uh, yeah, it's just nice, like nice to have people coming out to shows like at the end of January when it's like kind of a depressing time in the city sometimes and so I'm really thankful that Big Fun exists for sure and I've discovered some great bands through Big Fun. So with Real Love uh, from what I gather from it it's like you said building a community but also making a platform for young bands there's a lot of new music 
at venues. I'm just wondering what, uh, um, sorry, the new music at Real Love Events. I was wondering who are your ones to watch? Yeah, well, great question because... I feel as though you see a lot of them. For sure. I like to think that I'm good at discovering bands and it's it's not hard like basically all I do is just go on Bandcamp and type Winnipeg and then search like new arrivals so you can see like someone just made an album in their basement and they're like in high school and they like put it up and then I can listen to it like an hour later um I like love that about Bandcamp and I've discovered a bunch of bands through that. I was I was briefly booking shows at the old Ellis Theater across from the Westland Cultural Center as like an all ages venue. This was a couple years ago and uh, for that it was like I was really emphasizing younger bands so that was definitely like the height of my like music discovery of, of new younger bands. Um, but in terms of my my bands to watch, I, I think Urban Vacation is is one of the most creative, exciting bands in the city right now. Regardless of their age, they're really young, but they like I think they're they're great, and I'm really really excited to see what they do. I'm a big fan of Floor Cry as well. She's opened up for Living Hour a few times, and and her recordings are awesome. Panther has some amazing songs, really catchy stuff. And yeah, there's there's so many good artists. Charlie Baby is great. Um, Joko T, Sam Singer. There's so many. I feel bad if I'm like leaving people off, but I, I think that's like that's like a pretty accurate representation of of young bands. I like Love Snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to ask a question about uh, Living Hour. We were talking. Uh, about lyrics with some other artists and in living hour i think it's quite difficult to understand like the the lyrics of the songs yeah and the voice sam's voice is more like an instrument than it is uh something that's like words right um and i was wondering are there some lyrics in there that are like really great or really obscure really odd that like you think maybe people aren't picking up on but they're just like what a great lyric Probably. <laughs> um, Are you do you do the writing? On I the I wrote most of the first album, um, but for our new material, which we pretty much exclusively play live now, and will be on our upcoming album, uh, which we're almost finished now. It was a lot more collaborative, and Sam did a lot more of the vocal melody writing as well as the lyrics. And which has been way better because like I was super lucky to meet Sam and have her like essentially like agree to be in the band and sing these songs. But like they were more they were like more my songs that she was singing and she did an amazing job. But now that they're the songs that she's writing, her voice just has like taken on a whole new level because it's like. It's more meaningful for her. Um, And she, like, writes really, in my opinion, like, funny, weird lyrics um, that, like, don't necessarily always, like, make sense, like, right off the bat. But if you kind of, like, 
think about them and think about like her delivery. Um, they're pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of like some specific, specific ones, but like, uh, there's this line in this song we have called bottom step where she like says something along the lines of, usually I can understand what she's saying, (laughs) but it's something along the lines of like, um, pulling at the softest thread on my sweater and just the way she says it is just like so like dramatic and like (laughs) romantic and I don't know I just I just like like her style yeah for sure awesome um well we're we're coming to a close on the podcast um just one more question going out any young bands that are looking to get on your radar, Real Love's radar? You mentioned Bandcamp. What's the best way to go about that? Uh, well, I'm like definitely always have my ear to the ground. But if you ever want to directly get in touch with us, um, you can just email us at reallovewinnipeg at gmail um, or on f- message us on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, because like we're always, always open. We... And especially booking at least two shows a month, we're always kind of needing new bands to pop up because we don't want to just be booking the same stuff over and over again. And so, yeah, please reach out if you're listening out there. Um, We would really appreciate it. And also, like, a big thing is come out to shows and talk to people and introduce yourself to people and that's how the community grows and that's how you get opportunities as well you know um i've like met a ton of new friends and like people who i eventually collaborated with musically just from being at shows and and going out so seeking out local live music is a really valuable thing and then yeah just writing songs and recording them and just just doing it and i'll find you one more thing Gil great outfits all the time oh thank you I want to know what's your like favorite thrift store or like best find like what is this the piece of clothing that you're like yes this is it okay well I do have to give some credit to Sam Sarti from Living Hour because she is the ultimate thrifter and occasionally will surprise me with sweaters and stuff um, that don't fit her but are cool and she'll give to me so thanks for that Um, I do appreciate that, Olivia. Uh, Like, we tour a lot, and that's kind of, like, a common thing to do on tour is, like, go to, like, vintage stores and stuff like that. So I do... There is this one place in Toronto that I love called Public Butter, and they have really, really nice stuff. Um, And obviously, like, New York and Portland and Los Angeles have, like, incredible vintage places, but they're often quite expensive. In Winnipeg, I like hit up Value Village, like kind of just pop in and see if they have anything every once in a while um, or the Goodwill on Sherbrooke. But yeah, my favorite find, though, were these pants, which I'm surprised I'm not wearing them right now because I (laughs) actually wear them like six times a week. You could say you are. Nobody knows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm wearing them. Uh, (laughs) They're just like these like gray Levi's, but they just like fit me like no pair of pants has ever fit me. (laughs) And I feel like they like look good with like most 
of the stuff I wear. But my favorite thing to wear is this Black Sabbath t-shirt that I got in grade six that still fits me. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> well, it's a little tight now, but up until recently, I, I still wore it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost ready to be like retired and like framed and like hung up on the wall. I'll get my mom to frame it. Nice. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gil, for coming by. For sure. Thanks for the water. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> it, like, is it good? Is it? It's crisp. Crisp. Okay, Ooh, that's yeah. what Thanks. I was going for. Yeah, that's for what sure. we aim for here. Um, so thank you for letting us cut a little deeper. Um, we're trying out different outros. Yeah, and... I was actually thinking, I was saying, I like that. that's cutting deep with Gil Carroll. And then, boom. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Try that once more. That's cutting deep with Gil Carroll. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Just a reminder, you can find all of our cuts online at papercutwinnipeg.com. Here's a cut from our interview next week with Carol Flam. Yeah, people sometimes focus too much on us being women, and that's kind of weird. But I think it's not, I think it's something we need to talk about. I think that's fine. But when people are like, wow, exceptional, like a band with two women in it that's like really actually good like are you surprised you know like, is, is that surprising like there's plenty of bands